0: It's great to be here. I'm always excited when Dave invites me, and um, one of the things that's great is just that I'm always learning things, and if I don't have an outlet for those, it, they sort of just back up and I start to get squirmy, you know? So it's great to be here and actually get to share some stuff. So I think it's like that with all of our blessings that we receive. They kind of need an outlet, you know? So. As some of you know, my wife is a doctor. She's actually a resident. And uh, seven years ago, uh, right around now, she was applying to medical school. And we had just gotten engaged on Halloween, and she applied to medical school, and she really wanted to go to the University of Washington right here. That was her first choice. We're both from here. We were living in Chicago at the time, and we were hoping to move back because we hated it there. It's the worst. Um, it's just cold all year long. And then in the summer, it's super duper hot. So, anyway, we wanted to come back. She applied, and uh, she got waitlisted at the UW. Um, and then she also didn't get in anywhere else. Uh, she got waitlisted at a couple other places, um, but didn't get in. And so the months kind of ticked by, and it got to be the beginning of May, and we were getting married in June. And she still hadn't heard. She was still on the wait list, and um, I was starting to get nervous, you know, because I wanted to be looking for a job. I wanted to figure out where we were going to be living, all of that stuff. And, you know, all these big changes were happening in our life, and I wanted, and, but there was all this uncertainty, and um, and then about four weeks of, or so before we were getting married, she heard she got into the UW. And it was like the happiest day you can imagine. Um, There are very few times when we have wanted something more than we wanted that. And so there was a lot of rejoicing um, at that time. And if you had asked her on the day she got into medical school, why do you want to be a doctor? She would have been able to tell you why, because anytime you apply, you know, to a program. You have to write these essays where you try to convince these admissions people, these shadowy admissions people somewhere out there that you know why you're doing what you're doing, that they should let you in. And she'd done that, and so she had all these reasons that were fresh in her mind about why she wanted to be a doctor. Just like everyone else who gets into school. But, you know, the joy of getting in doesn't always last, you know? So, so, you know, medical school is four years long, and then after four years of school, where you're studying day and night, you are in residency, where you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, so you hate your life. And, and, she's, and she's been there now, you know? She's three years into residency, and, um, and this is kind of how it goes. You know, you're working like crazy, your patients hate you, uh, you know, your coworkers are stressed out and also wanna kill you because you're the closest thing to their problems. Um, everybody hates everybody and you're miserable. This is, this is what happens from time to time. And in those moments, in those moments, uh, you start to ask yourself this question. Why am I doing this to myself? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? And uh, I think this kind of gets us into our theme, your theme, for this series on Hebrews, which is called Crisis of Faith. And it's not a crisis of belief. I think, I think we need to distinguish these two things. Uh, because a crisis of belief would be would be you not being able to even say any reasons for why you're doing this. Um, but you could have asked my wife in her state of misery, you know, to list off some reasons, and she would still be able to tell you the reasons that she went into medicine, but somehow those reasons weren't connecting anymore. And, uh, and some people that she knows have dropped out of school, some people have dropped out of residency, um, Usually the $200,000 of school debt keeps them from doing that, but sometimes not. Sometimes it's that bad. And that crisis of faith where your reasons that got you into this no longer resonate with you, and you're wondering, not why am I doing this, but is it worth it to keep on going? And that's what the Christians that the book of Hebrews is written to are wondering, Because the Christian life can be hard, you know. And they're wondering, is it worth it to keep going? And I think that's a relevant question for us too. So uh, let's get into our text tonight. It's from Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verses 12 to 14. I think it's in your bulletin, uh, or you can pull out a Bible But it's just three verses that we're going to focus on tonight. Um, I picked these out of a whole chapter um, because I think they resonate pretty strongly. So listen carefully as I read God's holy word. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of God's word. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their faculties trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. It's so short, I just feel like we need to read it again. You know, I'm a total Bible guy, and I love um, letting the words of God soak in. So I'm just going to read it real quick this time. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of God's word. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. And listen carefully as he describes maturity for those who have their faculties trained by practice to distinguish good from evil." So I think that, um, as I've been reflecting on this text this past week, uh, there's really three kind of ideas that have risen to the surface for me. And, um, and the first two we're just going to breeze over so fast. You'll, you'll miss it if you're not paying attention, and the third one we'll spend a little bit more time on. Uh, and You've got some scratch paper. Um, I'd suggest not that you take notes about what I'm saying, but maybe that you, as uh, you're listening tonight, write down some questions, some thoughts, maybe some things that God is speaking to you so that you can talk about those with each other this week and continue reflecting. This is the first thing that I think um, has really come to the surface for me in this text. Uh, It's that true disciples... Of Jesus, embrace a process of change and transformation. True disciples of Jesus embrace a process of change and transformation, and I think that's what it's talking about when it describes us moving from just drinking milk to eating solid food. That process is a process of change and transformation, and that's something we have to embrace, even though uh, change is difficult. And you know, we we say all the time, people don't like to change, right? And yet, that's something that's right at the heart of Christian faith. And, you know, John the Baptist, when every time he is preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying, change. We need to change. It's right there at the center. And it's actually a wonderful thing, it's uh, not a terrible thing. Um, It's something that we can embrace. That's all I'm going to say about that. Second thing that really emerged uh, for me in this text is that. The way to maturity is through an intentional process of, uh, I'll just say, action and reflection. It's kind of like going up some stairs. Action, reflection, action, reflection. That's the process to maturity. And you'd think that that would be so easy. But uh, for some reason, we just have a hard time putting those two things together. And so you may know some Christians who are really good at the action piece, and you may know some Christians who are really good at, like, the thinking piece. Um, The people who are really good at the action piece might be really into something like social justice. But this text is telling us that that all by itself is not enough to get you to spiritual maturity. Because unless you're acting and then thinking about why we're doing this uh, thinking about why, how Jesus transforms and shapes our action, uh, we don't move to spiritual maturity. In fact, if we are in that process where we're totally into doing awesome stuff, working at nonprofits, working in churches, going on mission stuff, we might be totally into that, and it's great. Uh, but until we bring this reflection piece into it, we're doing it out of our own strength, and we're probably going to burn out at some point, and you see that a lot. On the other hand, you also may know people who are really good at thinking about the faith, people who love to think just about God's amazing grace for us, the way he forgives us, the way Jesus came and, you know, he doesn't look at our sin anymore, and we we sing songs about it and we think about it, and maybe you know some people who do that a lot, and it doesn't really ever work its way into their daily life. They don't really care that much about justice. They don't really care that much about the poor. They don't really, you you can name it. That too, while those people can talk for a long time about the faith, don't reach maturity. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Those first two things, I think, are right there in our text. Oh, I didn't even point out that second thing in the text. This is where I see it. Verse 14, where it says that mature people have their faculties trained by practice, action, to distinguish good from evil, reflection. Trained by practice, action, to distinguish good from evil, reflection. Put those two things together, and you have someone who's moving to maturity as a follower of Jesus. Now, this is where um, I got about that far in the text, and I started feeling like there was a phantom in this chapter that I couldn't see, something that hadn't been said right here that I needed to identify. And I realized that uh, there is, in fact, a phantom, but it's been explicit. It's, just, it's everywhere else in Hebrews. It's just not right here. And it answers that question, why are we doing this? Why are we even on this Christian journey? And why is it worth it? That's the question that I think Hebrews as a whole uh, is dealing with. And something that resonates with me deeply, I want to be able to answer that question because I think if I can get a hold of that, I can maybe keep on going, keep on progressing as a person, as a follower of Jesus. So I've been trying to get to know my neighbors lately. Uh, my actual physical neighbors. And actually, my wife and I have both been doing this because we have this thought that maybe when Jesus tells the Good Samaritan parable uh, that that loving your neighbor might include your actual neighbors and not just whoever. And But the problem is we don't even know them, and so the first step was just getting to know them. And so I was getting into my car out on the street, and... This guy was getting out of his car and unloading all of this camping gear. And I like to hike and camp. So we struck up a conversation out on the street. And he's about 20 years older than me. And at a certain point, I asked him, well, you know, I found out that he'd been a hiker his whole life here in Seattle. And I asked him, well, do you have any hikes to recommend? And without hesitation, he said, oh, yeah have you ever been to Maple Pass? Has anybody been to Maple Pass? Is it, raise your hand. Anybody? Nobody. Okay. This is a gem. You should probably write this down. Uh, so he said, it's the best hike I've ever been on uh, in Washington. It's absolutely incredible. I said, oh, wow. Okay. So I went and I, I like typed it into the note thing in my phone. And uh, my wife and I went three weeks later. This is just uh, about a month ago now that we went. And i I had been in the Enchantments for four days um, in September. It was amazing. I thought that was the best hiking ever, you know, in Washington. And so I had pretty low expectations for this hike, but we got up there, and this is the sort of hike where we're just like going up these switchbacks and around every corner, we're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this exists. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Stop No, we don't even need to stop and take a picture. It's just going to get better. and. Uh, you know, it's like we're going up through meadows and larches, and you get up, and there's a 360-degree view of the mountains, snow-capped peaks, and, um, and, and a lake so still uh, that I couldn't even tell where the water ended and the rocks began because they were reflected so perfectly. I mean, this, it was incredible. And uh, I was so glad that this guy told me about this hike. Um, now, I've, I'm asking myself this question. Uh, why is the Christian life hard? Why is it that we have moral standards we're trying to conform to? Why do we try to be disciplined? Uh, why, um, there's, there's just a lot of things that kind of traditionally, we say, go along with being a Christian and being a follower of Christ. And um, they seem kind of hard. And so I want to play on this idea of hiking to explain why it's hard. This is why I think it's hard. Um, Jesus is saying, I want to take you to a more beautiful place, a place beyond uh, where there are smooth roads, beyond where there are well-maintained trails. I want to take you to a place that is more beautiful than you can get to through easy modes of transportation. That's where Jesus wants to take us, and it's hard. So uh, I'm kind of imagining that what if instead of meeting my neighbor out there, uh, I go out to my car and I meet Jesus, and uh, he's a great mountaineer. And we strike up this same conversation, and he says, oh, have you ever been to that place? And I go, no, I've never been there. He's like, this is it's the most beautiful place in the world. You have to go there. I'm like, well how beautiful, he pulls out his iPhone, he's like, look at these pictures, I'm like, wow, those look amazing, did you photoshop those, no, no filter, man, and I'm like, wow, it really does look awesome, and um, and he says, yeah, it's amazing, hardly anybody goes there, um, but I'm telling you about it, I've been there, it's the most beautiful place in the world, and I say, well, great, you know, my wife and I have tomorrow off, let's go, you know, and he said, well, he's like, well, hold on. Do you have crampons? Do you have an ice axe? Have you, ever, have you ever ice climbed? Do you have a four season tent? A negative 20 degree sleeping bag? No, I don't, I don't have any of that stuff. I just have a three season tent. Uh, <laughs> and um, he goes, well, okay, well, I guess I could loan you my, I have spare stuff. And he goes, actually, I should probably go with you. Um, because even when you have the map, sometimes the trail's easy to lose. And so I said, great, so we can go tomorrow. He's like, well, actually, it's a really hard hike. It's harder than anything you've ever been on before. You're going to have to train. And he starts writing down the training schedule, you know, kind of like those marathon schedules that you get two weeks into, and then you stop, and then you just run the marathon anyway, and you feel miserable, <laughs> like blow out your Achilles, and that's it for the rest of your life. And, and so, and, 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 you know, he's writing down the training schedule, and you're like, oh, man, this is actually going to be quite an ordeal. But the pictures look really good, so you're like, okay, well, I'll start training with you. And so the training is hard. And here's the thing. There's a point, you know, either, you know, a couple months into your training sessions or maybe you're actually on the mountain. At some point, um, you're just not in good enough shape, and you start to get miserable. Um, If you've ever been on a long hike that you weren't in good enough shape for, there's a point where you start to hate the mountain. I mean, you just, like, hate it. You're like, why is the mountain so tall? Um, and, um, and you stop looking at the vistas around you, and you just start looking at the ground so you don't trip on a rock and face plant, because you're not... Anyway, you, you hate the rocks, too, that they're even there, and it's not a smooth trail. That's what happens when you get tired, when you're not in shape for these things. I think we all understand that. Why am I doing this, you say to yourself? Why did, why did I even start on this hike? The crisis of faith, right there. And if you're alone, um, you might turn around. Hopefully, you're with some other people who are f- totally convinced that you need to keep going. I mean, this is why uh, we keep going a lot of times, right? Because there's other people there, and we don't want to let them down. Um, we need each other to keep on going on this journey. But I imagine um, that on this journey of faith that we're on, you know, we get to places where the, the, main t- the well-maintained trail ends and, uh, and there's some bushwhacking to be done, and there's some scrambling to be done, maybe some climbing to be done, and the trail is not clear, but you know that if you can get up there, it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be more beautiful than your home. It's going to be more beautiful than the easy hikes that you normally go on. It's going to be more beautiful. And then the question is, is it worth it? Is the beauty worth the effort? And I think that's a question that we have to ask ourselves as we follow Jesus. Now, I think, um, Even if we have really good reasons right now to continue walking with Jesus, uh, at the moment when things get really difficult, when life gets really crappy, uh, those reasons aren't going to resonate with us anymore. And... Hebrews, one of the things I love about the book of Hebrews is that it's always ahead of us when it comes to this faith stuff. Um, The writer of Hebrews knows that we're going to be struggling with these issues. We're going to be asking these questions. And when we get to chapter 12, which I don't know how long it's going to take you guys to get there, but when you get there, uh, the writer of Hebrews is going to say, if you want to persevere, if you want to make it, Uh, then you'll need to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And when you do that, then you won't grow weary. And so I actually want to take a few minutes to do exactly that to uh, with you Fix our eyes on Jesus. So this is, uh, these are some of the things that I remember about Jesus. From Mark 2, uh, instead of judging a man named Levi, who was a dishonest, greedy, backstabbing tax collector, uh, Jesus made him his friend and companion, saying it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. In Luke 7, we see a man who while at dinner with rich and respectable people, uh, is not put off when a prostitute comes and sits at his feet. Everyone else in the room is uncomfortable with it, but he says words which bring her honor and respect. This is a woman who everyone there says is dishonorable. In John 8, we see a man who, when a woman is caught in adultery, and is about to receive the punishment she deserves, that she's brought on herself. He speaks to her accusers and says, uh, convinces, shows them that that they aren't so different from her, really. And then instead of judging her, lets her off what we would say scot-free, just saying, go and sin no more. And then my personal favorite, this is my absolute favorite, John 2, uh, Jesus is at the wedding of one of his friends, and they're running out of alcohol, and and so someone tells Jesus this, and rather than just like saying, well, gosh, that was too bad that the person throwing the party is so cheap, um, and maybe just buying one last round, uh, he actually overloads them with so much wine that the party's going to keep going for days, because sometimes excessive celebration is exactly the right thing. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> so, you remember all this stuff, and you're like, no wonder his contemporaries called him, a, uh, they, they accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, you see. And yet, here is Jesus, which Hebrews tells us is uh, the exact representation of the character of God. But there's more. You know, I don't want to just make it sound like Jesus is just like a party animal. There's more to it. So I've got a few more. Um, In Mark, chapter 1, we see a man who doesn't avoid uh, gross and smelly people, but actually puts out his hand and touches a man with leprosy against his five senses, which are, like, revolting, uh, dignifying this man in his sickness. Uh, In Luke 19, we see a man who does not sit passively by when he sees economic exploitation, um, but drives the money changers out of the temple because that is not a place uh, to be profiting uh, for yourself. Uh, In Matthew 20... Uh, we actually, continuing with the economic thing, we have Jesus uh, telling a parable where he says, if I were the boss, uh, I would take from my own profits to make sure that even my least profitable employees had enough. It's called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. In Mark 9, Jesus teaches, if anyone wants to be first, he has to be the last and the servant of all. And then in Gethsemane, we see a man who when uh, the soldiers come to arrest him, the soldiers who are unjustly arresting him, who are actually doing him wrong, Jesus is still able to think about how they need help, and he heals the ear of one of the soldiers that's been cut off. And then, of course, in Jesus' passion, uh, he has multiple opportunities, just from a human perspective, multiple opportunities to squirm out of being crucified. So many opportunities. He could have done it at any of those points. And yet he doesn't because he has such clarity about his identity and his purpose uh, that he's going to stay the course. I wish I had that kind of clarity about my identity and my purpose so that I was able to be completely, uh, you know, not to question the course I'm taking. And finally, uh, John 19, when Jesus is on the cross, in physical agony, like he's never experienced before, he's still able to think of others. And he looks down at his mother, and John, he says, John, take care of my mother when I'm gone. He's still thinking of others, even then. Now, I don't know about you, but I sometimes look at the church and at the Christians around me and I'm a little unimpressed, you know. It's just not that compelling, you know, what I see. Uh, and I look at my own life and I feel the same way. I'm just not that impressed. It's not that compelling. It's, and, you know, and yet Jesus is compelling. His life is inspiring. And so no matter what is going on around me, in terms of uh, all these crazy things that happen in churches and all of these really disappointing things that happen amongst Christians, uh, Jesus himself remains impressive, inspiring, the thing. He's the one. I mean, he's, he's got it. Uh, grace and truth together. Courage, compassion together. Um, and I want that in my life. For myself, I've been thinking about what the more beautiful place is. Uh, what's that place that I want to be going as a follower of Jesus? And I've been, its it, right now, it's, it's very clear to me where I want to be going. Uh, it's a place where nobody around me is going right now, it seems like. Um, and this is what it is. I want to get to that place where because of my life, people are coming to know Jesus for the first time and having all of their priorities turned upside down as they follow him and discover his grace. And, um, and, and, and I want to see the joy that that brings to them. I want that. That's what I want. I want to be at the center of that happening all the time. Um, but you know what? That hasn't happened yet. It's not happening. People aren't like meeting me and just being like, of course, Jesus, that's it. I got it. Because I look at you, the way you're living. and um, and, But I need to go there. I need to make the changes in my life, the changes in my priorities. It's probably, I, I, I'm kind of freaked out that it's going to involve some economic impl- implications in the, my lifestyle. I'm kind of freaked out that it might involve... Um, Changes in my social life, it already is, as my wife and I start to reorient um, how we're spending our time. Um, But that's the more beautiful place, and I need to go there, even if nobody around me is going there. Um, And I wonder where Jesus is calling you, what vision you've been given. Um, And as you, if you don't know, if you don't have one, then I think it's time to go back and start reading the Gospels again and seeing what it is that Jesus was doing because this is the guy who is the most human person ever. Uh, And if any of us become like him, to the extent that we become like him, we will find more joy, more peace, more meaning. um, And um, everything good in life um, comes as we live into him and his life. But you'll want to, you know, find some companions along the way. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight from Hebrews, and we ask that, um, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would bring people around us to um, to keep us strong when we begin to wonder if it's worth it. Um, and we also pray that you would give us a new vision for where we're going um, so that will be sustained on the hard path. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Amen. Um, Thank you, Joe. Every week we come to the Lord's table to take communion because we know that The kind of food that we need is substantial if we're going to grow strong enough to make it to that place, that more beautiful place that God has in store for us. And so this is a reminder, the table is a reminder that that food, that solid food itself is filled with the presence and work of Jesus Christ, His body and His blood given for us so that we might find that place. So Jesus did this with His disciples. He initiated the Lord's Supper on the night before He was betrayed and arrested and then eventually taken to the cross to die in our place for our sin, for our weakness. And so what he did, and I'll do it when I'm done because I've got the handheld mic, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this, remembering me. And then he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. My blood poured out for forgiveness of sin." He said, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death and everything that it means until he comes again. And he's coming again, and he'll take us to that place. He'll take us over the mountain, over the hill, and we'll see the heavenly country that he's been preparing for all those who come and trust in his name that fall at his feet and say, Jesus, it's you that I need to become the man or the woman that you've created me to be. But until he comes, he says, come, remember what I've done. Let this be a reminder that following me up that mountain, following me into those places that are hard and tough where crisis happens, following me, it's all worth it. I've already finished the job. So when you're ready, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, in His death, and in His resurrection, if you're trusting that that is the only way to get to this heavenly country, this more beautiful place, then come and have fellowship with Jesus. And what you'll do is you'll rip off a piece of the bread, and you'll dip it in the cup, and you'll eat it Signifying your uniting with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. If you're still processing whether or not this Jesus is worthy to follow up the mountain, if you're still wondering, do I put my faith and trust in his promises? If you're still asking those questions, we are so glad that you're here. We exist as a community. It's very simple. Help people consider jesus christ so we'd say keep asking questions keep pushing in join a fellowship group it takes commitment and hard work and eating solid food again and again and again to feel that growth to come to a realization of what's true get involved in a fellowship group commit come worship with us sunday in and sunday out and i guarantee you will experience a closeness with god that you haven't before But if you're still not ready, that's okay. We'd say wait and do this once it can be an act of faith. And when it does, tell somebody about it. Tell somebody that you've decided to follow Jesus. After everyone's had a chance, um, we'll pass some offering baskets. This is a way to respond in worship to the gospel of Jesus for what He's already done. And so see the basket come by there's a couple ways to participate if you call sedaris your home we would love that you partner with us financially so that we can move the mission of this church forward helping the city of seattle consider jesus christ if you're new to us or you've just been checking it out for a couple weeks a great way to participate in that is by putting your prayer card in the basket or your connect card in the basket so that we can start um, inviting you in to the worship of this community So when you're ready, friends, come and have fellowship with Jesus.